I am going to uh, kind of tip my hat from being a teacher and explaining the text and talking about the text, and I'm going to be a little bit of a shepherd this morning uh, with you, um, and I'm going to give you a few caveats to tell you what I am not saying before we get started, because I don't want you to misconstrue, and I'm going to say that uh, before, because those are actually my words, and then we're going to read the text that uh, we're going to share with you, and then we're going to go through a whole slew of things. I'm going to be reading a lot because I have poured my brain over too many numbers this week, and I don't want to get confused and say the wrong things. And I want to be very specific and not just um, generalizing things. Uh, I don't want to go into rabbit trails and and talk about opinions either. I just want to stick to the facts this morning. And our theme of this morning is fear. And, uh, And as a shepherd, I want to talk to you about where we have been since before COVID started and where we are now. And, uh, and so we're going to look at all that. What I am not saying is that because we serve the Creator and because we love God, God will heal anybody and nobody will get sick. That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, I'll probably tell you that by sometime next year, this time, somebody from our church will probably have gotten or did get or um, will have COVID eventually. Um, by the way... How many people have ever had the flu? Okay? It's the same thing. It was a virus. Uh, Eventually, someone's going to have it. Someone's going to get it. Somebody you know is going to have it. Somebody you know is going to get it. Somebody you know, we've had several people in our church that have known somebody that has got it and passed away. It's very possible. I know people that have died from the flu. I know that I've known people personally have died from COVID. What I am not saying is that because we are here together at church that none of us are going to get sick. That's not what I'm saying. God can heal and God can choose to heal. I've been healed and gotten over different sicknesses. I know that is by God's design. Okay, that's, what I'm, that's all I am saying is that by God is in control. He knows all things. He is not surprised, right? He is in control of all things. Okay? What I am not saying is, is that just because what we talk about today doesn't mean you go out and rub it in people's faces. That's not the intent. That is not salt. Okay? Uh, that's not, God doesn't call us to rub salt in people's wounds. Right? What I want to do is I want to let our understanding of who God is direct our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord, not to be driven through any other avenues of government. I am not telling you to be go, go out and be civilly disobedient, right? Sometimes I think the, 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 the laws uh, on the road are a little bit silly. That doesn't mean I disobey them. And if I do disobey them, I pay the fine. If I don't pay the fine, I should expect other things to happen right? So you can disagree and still honor. Okay, so what I'm not saying is is just because I bring up some points this morning and we talk about fear and we talk about what God is giving, directing us, I am not saying to go out and be civil disobedient, okay? And I'm also not telling you to tell everybody else to be civil, civil disobedient either. By the way, that is not John MacArthur's intent either. If you've been tracking John MacArthur, I have a bunch of friends that have been cluing me in that have spoken with him and then talked with us and with myself. Um, I've been kind of just going through all that. He's now won four court cases uh, defending his right to hold church. Um, And the judge has thrown out the city's arguments all four times. They have one left to go. By the way, because John did that and for his church, not for our church, but the repercussions is now that he has set a precedence for every church in America. So did God use and God know? Yes. Does that mean what he is doing is right for our church? 
That does, that's, he's the pastor of Grace Community. He's not the pastor of First Baptist Church. Okay, so the, I, what I'm not saying, the other caveat is, just because MacArthur is doing what he's doing doesn't mean that we do what he does. But we are going to do what he does, and that is we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to not focus on the world, but we're going to focus on what God tells us this morning. Our goal is to glorify God and Him alone. In doing that, God gives us the answers to deal with everything else. Okay, so that's my caveat. And now, and just pray that I don't get too, uh, I, I, yeah, too excited. Uh, I, uh, when I start getting this way, I already let loose on a Wednesday night Bible study. I started preaching one. We never did uh, get to the full text of what we were going to study that night because I just started unloading uh, the absurdity of things that have been going on and, uh, and talked about some opinions a little more than I wanted to. That's not what I'm going to try to do this morning, but I don't want to get too emotional this morning. I want to be directed by the Lord. So let's pray and ask God to do that and to bless the reading of His Word. You should be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 7. Lord, we ask that you would direct our humble hearts, that we would be humble, not proud, not opinionated, not my way, or Lord, that we would glean the truth from the power of your Spirit, that we would take full advantage of what you have given us when you, Jesus, died on the cross for our sins, when you transformed us into something different than the world. You saved us from our sin. You did a work that no one else could do. You provided peace, peace from your wrath. Lord, you are holy and we deserve to be cast into outer darkness, into hell for eternity. But you chose to die for us, to do something that we could never do, to to satisfy the legal demand because of our sin our wrongdoing. And Lord, thank you so much for that blessed gift, that that merciful gift, that graciousness in which you have lavished your love upon us, that we can be transformed into a new life, a new creation because of Christ, through Christ Jesus our Lord, and give us a new mission to no longer glorify this world or to glorify ourselves, but to glorify the Creator, you, the holy, majestic One. That one day, all of us, our knees will bow before the name of Christ in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would do the same today, that we would just bow our hearts and our minds to your glory, to your authority, and that we would love you. And Lord, it would give us direction as we look at how to deal with the different things that are before us as a church as a body, as a people that claim the name of Christ. Lord, honor, I pray that we would honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 3 in first, uh, Second Timothy chapter 1. Now remember, the whole thing, Timothy has been struggling. He's having a hard time. He's a new pastor in Ephesus. By the way, if you don't remember... His mom is a Jew, his dad is a Greek. He, he's in between two distinct world cultures. He's in, he, his mom was a part of a, a religious world culture, and his dad was, is a part of a very philosoph- philosophical, knowledge-based culture. It's all about knowledge. It's all about, quote-unquote, wisdom, philosophy, Right? This is Timothy, and he's struggling with that, and he's in Ephesus. He's in a very demanding Greek culture. And this is, he's struggling. He's having a hard time. He's like, what do I do? And the struggles has derailed him from 
his mission. And Paul is telling his son of the faith, remember, 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 remember that which is important. And that's where we are when we pick up in verse 3 through 7. And listen, it says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you consistently in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, remember one thing I didn't talk about is Paul's in chains. He knows he's, ready, he's getting ready to die for Christ. He's in chains. He's in Rome. He knows that he's probably never going to see Timothy again except for when he gets to heaven. So that's where Paul is praying this prayer. And he says in verse 4, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power, love, and self-control, not fear. Since the beginning of, uh, we started hearing about COVID and all of the possibilities of this sickness, and it was being driven by a lot of fear. We started, uh, we started and we went to Psalm 46, not because of COVID, but because we wanted to talk about the surety that we had in God because of the homegoing of Sue Lunsford and the fact of what we know about God and how that directs our life. We noticed in Psalm 46 who God is. We noticed that the point of that is, is that our perception of God determines how you perceive God. And how you perceive God is how you relate to God. And how you relate to God is how you end up relating to the rest of the world. We noticed the power that is in Psalm 46 to give us comfort, joy, peace in the midst of a shaken world. Psalm 46, Proverbs 3, Psalm 19, and Psalm 40, we all talked about progressively as weeks went by, as the COVID thing became more reality and we were asked to not hold church uh, and to, to stop meeting. We saw that the object of trust and what we trust determines the outcome of our emotional and physical well-being. All of those things that we talked about in all those verses that what we trust in determines our emotional state, our spiritual state, and our physical state. Psalm 61, a few weeks later, we noted the main point in Psalm 61 that when a faithful believer finds himself with a faint heart surrounded by things that make him feel alone and afraid, we can pray to God because we have access to God. We can see that He is the mountain that takes us above the flood of life. We can call out to God and He can become our sure rock and foundation. Knowing that God truly, and He's the only one that can truly care for us. We then move to Psalm 22 and looked at the point, the fact that the Son of God was knowingly forsaken. It wasn't an accident that God forsake him. It wasn't an accident that Jesus went through the things he went through. We saw that it was the point. He was forsaken by God, being put to death by the evils of all men. Yet Jesus remained faithfully confident in God's faithfulness to deliver him. And how that relates to us today. The importance of that. We then move to Psalm 133, and we looked at these three amazingly short verses, and we noted that it was a psalm of ascent, that all these Jews were leaving Babylon, and they were, they were coming back from the Persian Empire and getting to come back, and they were ascending, they were, they were climbing back up to 
uh, to the mountain of Jerusalem and coming back to the holy city to worship God for the first time after all those years being away from the temple. And they're seeing Jerusalem coming up in the peak and they're praising and they're worshiping God. They're longing to be together in fellowship. But you realize not all the Jews came back. Some of them stayed integrated fully into the culture in which they were in in Babylon. But those that came back were singing Psalm 133. Fellowshipping with others is based on their fellowship with God. They were proclaiming, looking forward to fellowship with others because of their fellowship with God. Psalm 90, we noticed this amazing psalm, and the point was this, that Moses' prayers for believers to be taught to not waste the day that God has given them and to remind them that the day that God has given you is in light of his eternal return. That we are not to focus on the, the, the temporal circumstances of our day, but we're supposed to always remember that God is eternal. His plan for us is eternal. He is returning. Pray, Lord, you return soon. Right? And that it's all about his sovereign plan. Then we looked at Psalm 73, and then wisely and wonderfully, Lyle brought us Psalm 13. Both of these psalms, the main point is this, it is not possible for a person to see and trust in those eternal things of God, all the while focusing on the temporal circumstances of the world. We can't focus on the the temporal things of this world and worship God. Then we moved to looking at how the gospel is implanted in all of the Psalms. And we started in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, seeing that our true confidence comes through the gospel, the good news that God has won victory over sin and death. God has won victory over sin and death. And now we go back to our text about fear. And Paul said, Timothy, remember. I could see him reminding Timothy of all of these things about the gospel and saying, remember, God did not give us a spirit of fear. It's one of the only times that this word for fear in the Greek text is used and it's to represent the most evil of all fears it's to have no trust in god and and to feel like everything is lost to be down to be discouraged to be depressed to be not only emotionally distressed but to be physically distressed that kind of fear anxiety to be dropped down to your knees God did not give us that kind of fear. But he tells us in this text, he gave us three things, power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy is stuck between two cultures, the Jewish one and his Greek father's culture. It seemed that Timothy had a tendency to retreat from the front lines of serving Christ. He was like, things got a little difficult, things were hard, And so he retreated, and Paul had to remind him, hey, that's not what God gave you. Don't respond in fear. Don't react. God gave us power to respond. God gave us love to respond. God gave us a sound way of thinking to respond. As Paul is chained In a Roman dungeon awaiting execution, he knew that he had to hand off the torch to Timothy. So he wrote this final letter to encourage Timothy to keep running the race that has been set before us by Christ himself, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who's done all the work for us. So that begs to to ask this question what is your worldview? Is your worldview driven by the humanistic thoughts and culture of this world, or do you have a Christian worldview? A worldview comprises 
of one's collections of presuppositions. That means you're told what to think and how to assimilate what you see and how you feel. It's by these presuppositions, convictions, and values from which a person tries to understand and make sense of his life and make sense of the world. Philosophy, science, culture, and other religions generally make up the dominant contributions to worldviews. So what's a Christian worldview? It's none of those things. It's not religion. It's not about science, although the whole of Scripture is full of science because God created everything. The Christian worldview is, is basically that we look at everything through who God is. It's knowing who God is and seeing the world based on who God is, not on what the world is. God drives our thinking. God drives our emotion. God drives our eyesight. God drives everything. That's where the power comes in that Paul is reminding Timothy. The Christian worldview sees and understands God, the creator, in his creation. That is man. The world, primarily through the lens of God's special revelation. That is the Holy Scripture. And secondary, through God's natural revelation in creation. As interpreted by human reasoning and reconciled with Scripture. Everything is reconciled by what God says. And by who God is. That is a Christian worldview. And I'd be willing to guess that most of us are having, our, having a worldview and a Christian worldview are fighting one another and trying to understand what do we do with our present situation with riots and, and systemic racism and, and all of the things that we see in covid COVID has almost taken a back seat to everything, but yet we still have to follow all of these special rules. That's as, okay, that, going in a political direction. Let's go back. Uh, here's the thing. Romans 12 tells us. Romans 1 through 11 gives us the theology of who God is and how we respond to who God is. Romans 12 tells us how we use that for the rest of the world. And he starts off by saying, do not be conformed. Don't be compressed into the mold of the world. By the way, 1 John uh, chapter 2 tells us that the world and everything in the world, the pride, all of the things that we see and all the things that people lust after, all the supposed wisdom in the world will be swept away. And all that will remain is our relationship with Christ. says, do not be conformed to this world. That's don't be compressed into the worldview that the culture and that society gives you. But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When God saved you, he turned you into a new creation, his creation, a perfect creation that is focused on who God is. That's our pattern. That's our worldview. That's what we're supposed to be compressed and molded by is the Spirit of God for God's purpose to be used in the hands of the master. Why? He says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Right? What is good? It is not following every little minutia of fear that's not good giving into fear that's not good being driven by fear that's not good that's not acceptable that's not what god gave us acceptable good by the way remember good who is good only god alone is good his work is good he is good his salvation is good His grace is good. His peace is good. All of those things are not about us. It's not about this world. Any work that the world can do is not acceptable in God's sight. Everything that is good that we do is as filthy rags in God's sight. When we compare ourselves to God, 
we are bent. We are deficient. But God is good. He is acceptable. His work is acceptable. His word is good. His word is acceptable. And thirdly, perfect. The government's not going to be perfect. The un- I'm sorry. I'm going to you know, step on a few toes. The United States is not perfect. The world in which we live in is not perfect. I know this is sacrilegious, but barbecue is also not perfect. I still burn some things every once in a while. <laughs> right? God alone is perfect. Colossians chapter 2 tells us don't follow empty deceit. Don't follow philosophies. Don't follow the patterns of this world. Follow Christ in which you've been built up in. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and telling the Corinthian church who followed the patterns of the world. They were definitely a church that were following a worldview after the world, not Christ. That's why they are all sorts of problems. That's why Paul was so frustrated with them. Probably also why we don't have the third letter he wrote to them, because I could just imagine the scathing rebuke that he was writing to them. But he said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We were not given the Spirit of this world, we were given the Spirit of God. To understand the things of God, to follow God, to know God, to live with God, to have a relationship with God, to enjoy God, to have peace with God, to enjoy God's power, His love, and sound thinking. No one in this world can think soundly other than those who are following God. If... if Everything doesn't make sense to you in the world when it comes to COVID. That's because you have the Holy Spirit. The world does not. Our governor said this, quote, But make no mistake, this order is enforceable by law. That doesn't make any sense. Because he cannot institute any law that has not gone through any vote. Any police officer will tell you that any of the things that have been given and demands that have been placed upon the church is not enforceable by law. It's a lie. It's a manipulative scare tactic. We see this a lot. I see it a lot in counseling. If you don't do this, pastor, then I'm going to do this. And they try to scare you. Quote, to be socially by the governor, to be socially irresponsible in these times is to risk the lives of our loved ones. Also, manipulation, fear, driven by fear. If you are socially responsible and you love your loved ones, don't let them leave the house because you're more likely to die of an accident going somewhere than you are to even catch COVID. I'll tell you those statistics in a second. This is not sound thinking. This is fear-based thinking. And I'm not saying this to tell you to be civil disobedient. I'm just telling you that we are being driven by fear. Fear of what the governor is going to do next. Fear, am I concerned? Yes. Are we at the level of persecution that Paul was? No. We don't have Nero as our president. (laughs) Although... Might not be down the road too much farther. But here's the thing. Quote, the rapid growth in the number of cases, quote, has put our state in a race against time. We need to grow hospital capacity or else face an even greater public health emergency. Quote, unquote. Has not happened. We were told that we were going to see 40 to 80% of the U.S. population with COVID and over 2 million deaths within the first 20 weeks. 
Never happened. Still not happening. You're still more likely to just catch the regular flu than you are to catch COVID. And those aren't numbers aren't even regulated as much as COVID is. I'm not going to go there either. We're going to go back. Let's, so let's look at this. By the way, if everything that COVID was compared to was the Spanish flu in 1918. If you've ever looked at that, you'll know that in the first 20 weeks, 25 million people died of the Spanish flu. Right? In the flu pandemic of 1918. Okay? So you see the huge difference. Okay, Five, there was millions upon millions of people that contracted the flu. Again, most of the healthy population survived it, even though 25 million people died just in 20 weeks. It went on to kill a whole lot more than that in the next year. In the year after that, it kept on killing people for years. It didn't stop in one year, by the way. I, that's what I've been doing while I was on vacation. I was looking up statistics all week. My brain hurts. Listen to these facts. You can dispute these facts all you want, but these are the numbers in the CDC. I don't agree with all the facts, but let's just take their numbers. Just, just take their numbers. Who cares how they got them? According to the CDC statistics, as of, by the way, these were Thursday, I, uh, they've gone up another 1,000 or so in Washington. But according to the CDC statistics, Washington uh, state has 70, roughly 74,000 people have confirmed cases of, out of 7 million, 7.5 million, close to 7.5 million. The state of Washington has about roughly 7.5 million people. 74,000, again, remember, don't fact check me, Today, go back to Thursday. <laughs> Thursdays, it's, we've gone up about 1,000 since the numbers have. That means roughly 1% have contracted the virus. 1%, roughly, just under 1% have contracted the virus in Washington State. Okay? Now, 7 million, number 74,000, that's just under 1%. 98% of that 1% will survive the virus. 98%. 98% will survive the virus. That's roughly the same. Um, if you catch the flu, you have the same percentage of dying as you do if you catch COVID. Okay. According to the CDC, their facts, not mine, they've done all the legwork, close to 6 million people, uh, 6 million people in the U.S. have purportedly, purportedly, because they don't list all their numbers, they say not available, not available to all their numbers, okay, contracted COVID and 182,000 have died out of 331 million people in the United States. Now remember, the Spanish flu killed 25 million in 20 weeks. 182,000 people have died out of 33. Now, I'm not, not talking about death is a reality, and I'm going to share that with you in a minute. We all live when we walk, when we, we're not guaranteed that we're going to wake up tomorrow. I'm talking to someone this morning that they had someone close to them that had a stroke and a heart attack. We're not guaranteed anything. Death is a reality because of the world we live in. I am not downplaying the deaths. That's, this is just the numbers. By the way, that's... <laughs> 182,000 out of 331 million people. If you are of the 6 million that contract it, you have a 90... Uh, the whole United States, it's down. It's not 98% as here it is in Washington. It's 97% will survive. By the way, that means you have, by the way, if you take all the numbers that the CDC is, uh, is on their website, it means you have a 99.9999447 chance of survival when it comes to COVID. 
That's the number. I just thought I would go out. There's a few more numbers after the one, but it didn't make any sense to go there. Kind of like pie. It's better to eat and not to equate. <laughs> now let me go another step further. According to the CDC, 91% of all the COVID deaths around the world are 80 years old or older. 91%. As a side note, last year, just in the state of Washington, the, the expectancy for females is 83. Life expectancy for males is 79. Okay, so it's still within the numbers. Is, it's still the same. Nothing has changed. According to the CDC and the World Health Organization, Cigarette smoking causes about one and one of every five deaths in the United States each year. One in five. According to the, w, the World Health Organization and the CDC, one in five deaths can be attributed to cigarette smoke. One in five. You have a five times more likelihood to die of secondhand smoke than you are of dying of COVID. This is their statistics on their website, not mine. According to the CDC and the World Health Organization, alcohol, quote unquote, this is on their website, is truly the bottled killer. That's what they call it. Alcohol is called the bottle killer. Alcohol is the cause of 5.3% of all human deaths. Now remember that quote, to tell us that if you care about your family, right, you'll just won't meet. Let me put it this way. That, that's, you have a 0.053 is the number. 0.053 annually people die of alcohol-related deaths. COVID right now is presently at 0.00005528. According to the CDC, about one in every 20 deaths worldwide is a result of an alcohol-related disease, injury, accident, murder, or suicide. Though, by the way, do you know the rate of alcohol deaths is greater than HIV? And they don't call HIV a pandemic. They don't call alcoholism a pandemic either. They don't call smoking cigarettes a pandemic either. They don't recommend it. Every day in the United States, about 30 people loses their lives every day in an accident involving alcohol. 30 people a day die related. This is all on the CDC website and the WHO website. Alcohol, according to Ashley May in the USA Today reporter, this is her article, last year, alcohol is a leading cause of death disease worldwide study shows it still is today by the way cdc is is acknowledging the fact that right now alcohol related deaths drug overdose related deaths suicides are all almost going to double this year because of the response to covid there are going to be probably there are gonna, not probably there will be more deaths with those things than COVID. And we're supposed to shut down church. Guys, we're being driven by fear. I am not saying that we cannot be responsible, think well. We are still having a picnic. We are still encouraging one another by I encourage people if, if you're wearing a mask and you feel like you need to wear a mask you should re approach that person wearing a mask right honor the other person that's a biblical principle right but we shouldn't be driven by fear let me give you a even more sobering statistic as of Thursday CDC reported Worldwide, this year, there's been over, over 30 million abortions. 30 million. 
babies killed this year. As of last Thursday, it, the number's already gone up. The WHO has reported that every year in the world there are estimated between 40 and 50 million babies killed through abortion. This is their statistics, and that's what they, they say, aborted, killed. This corresponds to approximately 125,000 abortions per day. In eight months, we haven't even, even come close to that number with COVID. Guys, every day we're surrounded by death. Death is a reality because of the fallen world in which we live in. We should not be driven by a worldview that perpetuates fear. We need to enjoy what God has given us. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, the death through sin, so death spread to all men. And we see it today. Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Listening to John MacArthur give an interview this last week, he said this. He said, You don't need an army to conquer a nation. All you need is fear. It shows you the weakness of this generation, and it shows you the susceptibility of suggestion. The ease with which fear can dominate people and not related to reality. I think it's even worse than that, but let's just stick to the facts. And they're tainted facts. But the facts do not promote what we are being told. The, if you go back to the text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 1, the final, by the way, Timothy is influenced by his grandmother, by his mother, and last but not least, by the gift that God gave him. The influence of his family and his friends and even God himself is, use, is useless if we resist it. What does Paul say? Timothy, fan the flame. If you ignore what God has given you and you are listening to everything else in the culture around you, then the things that God gave you, power, love, and the sound of mind die. They become useless. Verse 7 tells us what would happen if Timothy slacked off because of a spirit of fear. God does not give this, but many Christians have it. You drift from God, and soon all you think about is your lack of things, lack of position, lack of authority, lack of respect, lack of love, lack of health, lack of friends. You worry about them because you are not dependent upon the resources that God has given you. Are you a fearful person? Do you worry about what's going on? The direction of your life? This fear is not from God. It's because of the worldview in which we live. The philosophies, the empty deceit, the empty thinking, it is not sound. It's not whole. It's not complete. It's not good. This fear is not from God. The only thing that God gives is the power to respond to these things. God has given us the power. When He saved you, He gave you the Holy Spirit to have sound thinking, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be able to respond to hard things. But you have to fan that, which God has given you. We do that by worshiping, by coming together. God said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's church. We can't... By the way, right now, 32% of all the people that used to go to church 
Only 32% are actually ever attending anything that resembles church anymore right now in the United States. That's, that's 32% of the 15%. By the way, there was 15% were reported that went to church before COVID of the United States. Somewhere around 12 to 15%, it fluctuates. 32% of that 15% are those that are just attending church now. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, put on the whole armor of God and maybe we'll stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is pulling the wool over a lot of people's eyes in the form of fear. Again, I'm not saying to not be unwise. God has given us a sound mind. He's given us ways to do things. Also to encourage one another. Let us not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but all the more as you see the day approaching, as things get worse, continue to meet together more, he says. And to encourage one another, to support one another, help one another. I like the word for power is dynamite. It's explosive. The Holy Spirit is explosive in your life to be able to respond, to blow things out of the water. By the way, do you know, remember I told you in the outset, the whole point of this is to glorify God. You'll hear today that if you are socially responsible, you will not meet, yet bars or liquor stores are essential, and they're one of the number one causes of death in the world. What? <laughs> right? You can go to Home Depot. I like Home Depot. I like that I don't have to wear a mask in Home Depot because it's dusty. Or actually, I should wear a mask. My, my, my firefighter friend that I met while we were on vacation as we drove through a fire, I said, I actually get to wear my mask for a good reason. <laughs> and it helped while I was breathing in all those toxic fumes of the fire as we went through. It helped me while I was doing that. The fireman laughed. He got a really good chuckle out of that. But in Home Depot, do you know that when you go to Home Depot, you're rubbing shoulders with approximately 150 other people. Those 150 other people rub shoulders with more than 150 others of themselves. Exponentially, you get into the tens of thousands. By the time you get home, you have touched over 10,000 people's lives. Saying, guys, we can be wise. Do you know if we do not honor God, we cannot honor government. God didn't say government would be perfect. I wear my mask in public because my governor has asked me to. I respect that. Right? Just as if I'm going to drive the car, I, I go the, the speed limit that they say. But not all the time. <laughs> and if I don't, I pay the cost. Right? <laughs> right? It's the law. But here's the thing. There's a lot of ways to honor government and still government to be wrong. The only way you're going to honor the government is to first honor God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is unto it or like unto it, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. Literally, what it means is that you cannot love your neighbor if you don't love God first. If you're having a hard time loving and praying for our governor, then you might want to ask who you're worshiping through the week. Right? I'm thankful that my wife loves me. Because I am so imperfect. She made me an apple pie again. <laughs> I'm so blessed. But I'm not, I don't deserve it. I'm horrible. I'm a sinner. I don't treat her the way that Christ treats us. I have to work on that every day. 
if fear or worry or what's going on in our society is driving you, you cannot worship God. And if you cannot worship God, you cannot love each other. I want to close with this. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you're driven by fear, you will not be worshiping God. You'll, you'll be shocked when you come back next Sunday and we still have social distancing chairs after everything I've said, right? Because, but I'm not here to focus on how many people are in the building. I'm here to focus on worshiping God. I'm not here to focus on how many chairs are in the building. I'm here to worship God. I'm not here focusing. I'm here to help people worship God, to direct you to God. And if I can be creative in any way I can do that to, to ease your conscience, to encourage you, I will do that. But we're not going to say that church is not essential because it is. Because God has ordained that. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Did you notice that? Did the disciples have a choice? He made. By the way, that's, that's important. That's God's sovereignty at work. Right? Why? Because look at the next verse. And while Jesus dismissed the crowds, verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went upon the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat that the disciples were in by this time was a long way from the land, between, beaten by waves and the wind that was against them. They were in the midst of a storm. By the way, if you don't know, on the Sea of Galilee, uh, when a storm hits the Sea of Galilee, the, they have 20-foot waves on that little lake. 20-foot waves. Okay, so it is a storm. It's a shaking storm. It's a tragic storm. Fishermen die regularly on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so that's where the disciples were. Right? But the boat was in the midst, it was beaten by the waves, by the storm, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But did they notice him? Did they know who he was? And they're, they're in trouble, right? Who made him get in the boat? Jesus. Did God know that the storm would be there? Was that by God's design? Yes. Is everything we're going through right now by God's design? Yes. And, in the, and so he says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were shaken to the core. And they said, it's a ghost. They freaked out. I don't know about you, but if I was out in the Puget Sound and somebody started coming to me walking on the water, I would have to look a little hard. <laughs> I don't know if I would scream. I'd probably be a little unsettling. I don't usually scream at those kind of things. I usually, I do shake a little bit from time to time. Like when I run into a bear going over to the Hively's house. <laughs> so that happened last year. Went to throw a rock at a, what I thought was a coyote, and it turned out to be a bear. Don't throw rocks at bears. <laughs> My dog ran away. I was like, thanks a lot. <laughs> Luckily, the bear ran away too. <laughs> and I went home <laughs> shaking a little bit. And I'm not afraid of bears, but I, that, it, it startled me, right? They're startled. They didn't know who it was. They were terrified, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter, being Peter who he is, says, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water with you, and I'll do it. Uh, kudos for Peter. I mean, he actually got out of the boat, right? I mean, everybody focused on the fact that he didn't have faith. But you notice, he saw the wind, he saw the circumstances, and he was afraid. Fear. Multiple times we've seen the word fear. This was something by God's design. They didn't understand who God was. They weren't looking for God, and they were afraid. Peter goes out, but he turns back. He looks to Christ. He calls out, save me. God is so gracious. He's so kind. He lifts him up. He gets to walk on water twice. He goes back to the boat. 
Where are the other disciples? In the boat, still afraid. But you know what? He says, here he goes in verse 30, he says, But when he, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, he sunk. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Wow, isn't God amazing? Other verses tell us that God says, told the wind to cease. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know what happened? Do you know this is the first recorded time that the disciples worshipped Jesus as God? You cannot worship God and live in fear. If you're driven by fear, you will not see God, you will not understand God, and you cannot worship Him as God. Fear distracts worship. Fear that distracts worship removes the power that God did give you when He saved you. And the ability to love our governors, our authorities. Why do you think people are rioting? They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. I'm not talking about protesting. That's, that's something entirely different. I'm talking about those that are personally trying to hurt others, have a lack of respect for... By the way, that's funny that the same group of people that are giving us all the regulations about COVID... Do not downplay the taking of life in riots. They don't say it's bad. They say, well, maybe it'll bring about change. That was a quote from somebody that is also regulating some of our COVID stuff. And they're also telling you that don't you care about life? Stay home. Don't go to church. I don't want to be a church that is not worshiping God. I want to come. And when we come respectfully, worshiping God, not driven by fear, we can respect those that should stay home. That maybe they are fearful, but they shouldn't be and should be here. Well, pray for them. Help them. Encourage them. As Galatians chapter 6, don't be prideful. We learned that this morning. Don't be prideful. Don't say, I'm right. They need to get with it. Come alongside and help them, whatever their fear is, so that they can worship God. Whether it's masks or whether it's distancing or not eating together, whatever it is. There are people that have physical problems that if they did catch the flu, they would probably die. My grandfather was one. He passed away, got the flu, he got pneumonia, and he died. But he died because he had cancer, which weakened his immune system, which led to him getting the flu, which led to him getting pneumonia, which led to him passing away. Right? So there's a progression. If people have a, don't ridicule people that say, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit safer during this time. Don't ridicule them. Love them. But you can't love them if you're not worshiping God. You see the starting point. People want to say, we got to honor. Honor government. Honor government. Honor government. But there's nothing about honoring God. I'm telling you, we cannot fulfill all of God's command if we don't start with honoring God first. So don't use the information that you receive today to say, see, we should just, no restrictions, no nothing, no, not, do, just do everything. That's not what I'm saying. We should not be driven by fear. We can, and if we are not driven by fear, we will love God. God will use the power to help us to be wise in the decisions we make because we'll love one another Right? 
and all of a sudden my mind went blank on the third one. <laughs> and, and we'll have, we'll make good decisions. We'll have a sound mind, right? We won't sound silly. We won't make arguments that aren't based on fact, right? We'll do things. We won't argue with people over silly things. We won't get mad at people for silly things because they have a difference of opinion. We will focus on worshiping God first. So next week, most of the stuff will be the same, except that we're starting Children's Church. (laughs) A few more weeks after that, we'll start having, you know, Sunday school will come back. And then, you know, we'll start having, you know, but it's being wise and just slowly letting you know where we're going and why. Because we're not being driven by fear. Besides, magically, everything we'll have a cure in November. Just thinking. <laughs> That's just a little political side note. <laughs> so, guys, I just, I love you guys. And I don't want you to be driven by fear. That's the point. When Timothy was driven by fear, he lost all the power to be the pastor that God called him to be. Many pastors are living in fear. Praise the Lord for MacArthur. I don't think every, my opinion is, everything scripturally that he has said is exactly perfect. My opinion is, is that some of the things that he is doing is not what I would do. That's his opinion. But I praise the Lord for one that would stand up. God gave him the ability to do what he's done and set a precedent to remind us that we still can have church and according to the government guidelines. By the way, if you don't know, I mean, they don't police. We're not going to police you. I'm not going to go, oh, I saw you didn't wear a mask today. I'm not going to do that. That's what MacArthur is saying. They still have outside seating. They have, they have seating all over their campus, for any, all for different reasons. They have a, a place for seniors to meet that feels safer. That can social distance. They do all sorts. They're not just... It looks, all you see is the, those that don't care that come and that just meet right up in the front, right? That's what you see. But what you don't see is everything else that they do to try to love other people in their community to provide a way for them to worship in conscience so that way they're focusing on worshiping God and not focusing on illness, government, guidelines, all those other things. They've given them many opportunities. That's what you don't see. So don't don't just look at what he's doing and transpose it here, and don't just say what we're doing and transpose it there. But a lot of pastors are living in fear, and because of that, a lot of pastors are leaving the ministry. I met with a group of pastors four months ago, and they were angry. There was there were talk about leaving the ministry. I can't believe this. I, 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 I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Idaho where I can just do whatever I want. I couldn't believe this is from pastors. Being driven by anger and fear about what was going on. And they were talking about that the group that they were meeting with, and I won't name it, not our group, but the group that one of the pastors was associated with that, of those pastors that were starting these churches were all going to leave the ministry. As soon as COVID dived down, they were just going to leave. That's why Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy. Don't be driven by fear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He can give you peace in the midst of shakable circumstances. It may feel like things around you are falling apart. I mean, think about our teachers. Several of you guys. I mean, I would not, I'd rather be a pastor right now than be a teacher. <laughs> That's saying a lot. I, don't, don't quote me on that back two months ago before Miguel took over the videoing for me. I was like, some of you saw me at my wit's end when dealing with the internet in video. I'm glad to be just a pastor again. And not have to deal with technology. Guys, you need to be praying for one another. 
love the Lord your God, then you'll be able to love others with the love in which God has loved the sinful you. Right? Remember, we're all sinners. We're all imperfect. Even the world. Lord, I just thank you for your gospel, the good news of what you've done for us. I thank you for this long service, and, but I praise you, Lord, for the refreshing words that you've given us of life, that no matter how, what storms may bring, no matter how bad things are, Lord, you are above all things. You are in all things, through all things, and you are for your good. And part of that is saving us. Part of that is loving us and restoring a good fellowship with us. May that power which you have given us through your Holy Spirit help us to respond and not overreact to the circumstances in our life. May it give us the power to to have a sound mind and, and to love one another, to be the salt, to carry one another's burdens. To not be prideful, but to be humble, caring, considerate, kind. May the power of your Spirit grow more within us right now than any other time in history. Lord, in our church, may our outreach expand, not contract. Thank you for your unfailing love in which you have loved us with an eternal love, a perfect love, a holy love, in which you judge us accordingly. Thank you that you have set aside that judgment because of the work on the cross. Maybe here today someone has not accepted your gift, that they've responded to that gift that you have done for them by dying on the cross for their sins, and they, they, don't, they didn't realize that they needed to deal with that, and they haven't dealt with that, that they would respond this morning that they would call upon you and that you would save them, that they would say, Lord, I realize who I am compared to you and that I stand in judgment and that they would respond, whether they're watching through a device, live streaming, or they're here this morning, that they would respond to you, a holy God that has given us a perfect gift in Christ dying on the cross, being the perfect go-between to appease your wrath to set aside your judgment that we might have life with you for eternity. We need you, Lord. I pray that someone connected here today would call upon you and be saved. Help us all to remain faithful to the power in which you have given us, not to respond in fear. When we are afraid that we will turn to you and call upon your name. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee, Psalm 56, 3. Lord, that, I pray, would be our motto, no matter what, that we turn to you. Thank you for all of the things that you've done for us through this time. Thank you that we are stable. Thank you for the amazing giving. Thank you for the ministries we've been able to support beyond ours, where others are failing. We are so blessed. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.